When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered cold-filtered, and cold-packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Progressive presents The Sounds of the Old World. The year is 2019, and someone is waiting for a table at a restaurant. Thompson, party of four. Thompson, party of four. Thompson, party... Oh, there you are. This has been The Sounds of the Old World. Brought to you by Progressive, where drivers can still switch and save like it's 2019. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast is brought to you by Triple Threat Sports. For all your team outfitting needs, call Chris at 708-478-6090. Mariska's in Crest Hill, family-owned and operated since 1933. Chuck's Southern Coverage Cafe with locations in Burbank and Darien. Visit chuckscafe.com and seatgiant.com. Use promo code MADHOUSE to check out to save. Let's drop the puck. Welcome to the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast with NBCChicago.com's James Navo and 670 The Scores hockey guy, Jay Zawoski. Here I is Chicago! Woo! Welcome into the 8th best Chicago Blackhawks hockey podcast that there is. This is the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. I am James Navo from NBC5 Chicago. And with me for the first time in two weeks to talk a little bit of pucks and playoffs and lottery balls, oh my, is Jay Zawoski. Jay, we had the chance. The Blackhawks had the opportunity to potentially get the number one pick in the draft. Unfortunately, it just wasn't in the balls, my friend. And they will pick eighth when the teams convene in Dallas later this summer. You said balls twice. (laughs) <laughs> yeah i did um i uh you know there's a sick part of me that wanted to see well of course the hawks fan in me wanted the hawks to win the lottery but just to see the meltdown that would have happened had the hawks won the draft lottery would have been spectacular just the the tears that would just be so delicious to devour uh, as all the other teams in the league cried uh would have been something but i will say when montreal carolina and buffalo were standing there i said if Montreal wins this, I am driving there and slapping someone. <laughs> so. Oh, hundred, dude, hundred percent agree. After Edmonton got relegated to the tenth spot, like I thought we were kind of in the clear for a team that would tick me off if they got the number one pick. And then I saw Montreal, and I was like, "Are you serious? Like, are you for real right now? How is this happening?" <laughs> well, they didn't. And thankfully, thank God they didn't. Yeah, the number one pick. Belongs to the Buffalo Sabres. So yeah, Rasmus Dahlin can... Rare. Yeah, it's simply he... <laughs> rare that the worst team actually gets the number one pick, and it happened this year. I look forward to Rasmus Dahlin toiling in obscurity for the rest of his career. It's going to be really oh, great. Oh. Or when his first contract comes up and they have to trade him because they can't afford to pay him. What yeah. are they, the Toronto Maple Leafs? Ah. Oh, boy. We'll Dude, get to we them need, later. We do need to talk about the Maple Leafs tonight. That is something that has to come up. Oh, we'll definitely get to that, but let's start here with the draft, and 
I know, you know, the numbers came out today, by the way, for the Hawks season ratings wise, and things were not good. And we saw a rapid drop off in podcast listeners. That wasn't good. Like a lot of Hawks fans have just tuned out. And I think what we've learned is like if the Hawks aren't great, people are not totally interested. There mm-hmm. are the diehards. There's the 20, 30, 40, 50,000 diehards in the city of Chicago that care all the time. And then there's the rest that are like, take me to the next thing until the Hawks are great again. With that said, I think the draft lottery really slipped under the radar for most people, even some diehard hockey fans, uh, especially because of the way the league did it. They did a pregame, then they announced the final three during the intermission. It was just the most convoluted way to do it. But the Hawks getting the eighth pick is very, is barely really worth a blip on the news radar to most mm-hmm. hockey fans. But, um, you know, it, it doesn't mean that the guy they get is not going to be great. It doesn't mean he's not going to help the team in any way. But I think when you were looking at NHL-ready players, it was Darlene really – that was it in this draft mm-hmm. as far as I can tell, um, obviously early on. But I don't think you're going to get anyone at eight that's going to be able to help them next season. Correct. And I did want to, before we get too far into this, I got trivia question for you, Jay. Ooh, the Blackhawks have had the eighth pick in the draft three times previous to this season. Can you name those three players? I'm sure I can't, but I'll try. I guarantee you, you have heard of all three of them. Okay. I'm going to say one was Tuomo Rutu. Is that true? That is incorrect. I believe he was a ninth pick. If memory serves correctly. All right. Uh, was it Igor Rag- Radulov or uh, Pavel Vorobiev? No, they are actually better than those players. Okay. All right. I, I'll give you a hint. One okay. of them currently works for the Blackhawks. One of them currently works for the Blackhawks. Troy Murray. Incorrect. He actually is a. He's on the coaching staff of the Blackhawks. Kevin Deneen? Jimmy Waite. Oh, was duh. He was a number eight pick for the Blackhawks. Yeah. All right. Hint yeah, number two. He was that high of a pick? He was a number eight overall pick. Yes, he was. That's a bad pick. 1987, Jimmy Waite was the number eight overall pick in the NHL draft. All right. Num- 1988, the Blackhawks had the eighth pick two years in a row and picked this player who scored over 500 goals in his NHL career. Ronick. That is correct. And the most recent number eight pick for the Blackhawks ended up becoming known more as a face puncher than anything else. This was 1998. So you sense a theme here, 1988, 1998, and now 2018. The Blackhawks seem to like to get the number eight pick in years that end with an eight. Became known as more of a face puncher, 98. Hmm... I should know this. Very simple name. <laughs> I don't know if that makes any difference, but he's got like a name that almost sounds like a NHL 18 kind of would randomly spit out as a computer simulated name. Uh, Not Mark Bell. That is correct. It is Mark Bell. I will take umbrage with you calling him a face puncher. I don't know, man. Every time I saw him play, he was punching somebody in the face. I don't know what else to call him. Well, he would drop the gloves, but he was, for a while, one of their better scorers when he was not half in the bag or I, <laughs> I, on top I just, of I a do groupie. want to point out that, no, his his reputation overall is not that of, like, a face puncher per se, but he was always willing to drop them, man. And every time I saw him play, he did. I recall fondly Mark Bell beating the crap out of Jeremy Roenick. Uh, when Ronick came I back, I remember that as well. So eighth overall picks in the draft, going at it, dude. That's a guy who, had he stayed out of the bars and out of the groupies' apartments, could have had a hell of a career. He yep. was kind of the total like speed, decent uh, size, rather decent speed, good enough hands. He had some scoring ability, like you said, could drop the gloves. I'm not saying he was the next, you know, Brennan Shanahan or anything, but he no. should have been way better and played for way longer than he did. Uh, that, that's a, that guy was a huge disappointment. I had high hopes for him coming out and he had a couple nice years on a really bad Hawks team, but, uh, man, I thought there was gonna be a lot more for Mark Bell in his career. Anyway, no one gives a crap about Mark Bell. Um, well, I thought, I thought people would give a crap about it since he's the last number eight pick the Blackhawks had. Oh no, I agree with you there, 
no one cares about my Mark Bell memories. Ah, okay, there we go. <laughs> Probably a little more <laughs> accurate. Um, yeah, but, you know, number eight, you can get a decent pick. I, I think, you know, fans now, though, I think Blackhawks fans in general, be them diehard or be them casual, they want to know what's going to help the team right now. And the right. number eight pick is not going to help the team right now. Now, if you're talking about this one that I was thinking about, if you're talking about maybe moving a big salary that might be difficult to move, <laughs> Seabrook, <clears throat> I wonder if you'd be willing to package that pick in Brent Seabrook for like a lower first round pick. Um, I don't know that. I don't know if I want to do that. I think you need to probably load up as much as you can uh, and get as many people coming through the pipeline. That's how you maintain competitiveness and losing the eighth overall pick would be pretty painful. Um, right. I, I really, I think they're going to make the pick. I think they're going to get a good player, but as far as anything in the near future, that's probably out the window. And I know that this is obviously like a silly thing to ask, considering the fact that they're not going to probably get a guy who is NHL ready day one with the eighth overall pick. But if you had to guess like which position would probably be the one that the Blackhawks address, which one would you think it is? Personally, I think that it seems like there are a lot of like pretty solid defensemen that are up near the top of the rankings this year. So I think that probably blue line is the way that they're going to end up going, but I'm kind of curious what you think. I mean, obviously you could go any number of directions with that pick, but I almost think you have to go with another blue chip blue line prospect, right? Yeah. I don't think there's any question about it. Uh, I looking at the list of prospects preliminarily here, I haven't really dived in as deeply as we will before the draft, but I haven't seen any goaltenders that are really worthy of being taken that high. And Certainly that would be not. sort of the other thing you'd take a look at, even if you think Crawford's back next year, uh, or, and you know, even if he finishes out his career here, he's approaching the end and you need to sort of refresh that position organizationally. But yeah, I think, I think it's D or bust. I think that's really what they need to look to do. Um, now, traditionally those guys take a little longer to develop to become, you know, everyday dependable NHL defensemen, but uh, it's pretty bare when you look at the D in the organization. You've got some guys like Vili, uh, not Vili Polka, uh, Gustav Forsling, who finished the year in Rockford, and some other guys like that. But um, beyond that, beyond some guys you've already seen their NHL careers start, there's not a lot of guys coming up, aside from Yokoharu, obviously, the number one pick last year. Yeah, um, yeah I think that that's a no-brainer. They have to take the best defenseman and and maybe that means the most nhl ready right now if there's a lower ceiling because look if you're going to keep taves and seabrook and kane and sod and keith and all these guys you've got to get ready to win as soon as you can so maybe they take the most nhl ready player as opposed to the guy with the highest ceiling i wouldn't necessarily argue with that i think they need to look at that uh that win now situation and that needs to be a priority for them there have been two guys that I've heard repeatedly linked to the Blackhawks, and it's something that I'm obviously going to start kind of delving into more now that we know that they've got that number eight pick. One of them is actually, I had the name here and I just lost it. Oh, there it is. Is on the uh, USA National Development Team that uh, plays in the USHL and frequently plays against the uh, Chicago Steel and actually got to see him play this season. One of the few guys on the board I've actually seen play and I've seen him mentioned as kind of like a top 10 to 15 pick so maybe the Blackhawks can go a little bit off board and grab him and his name is Bodie Wild and he is a six foot two defenseman got some pretty got a little bit of physicality even though he's not like monumentally sized or anything but he, he definitely made an impression when I saw him play I definitely would think that that's somebody the Blackhawks could look at and then a guy that I've seen multiple uh, mock drafts putting with the Blackhawks and not it's like Craig Button from TSN and a couple other ones, not a defenseman, a center, hmm. Jesperi Kotkaniemi, I think is how you pronounce his name, K-O-T-K-A-N-I-E-M-I. And he is apparently an excellent I'm obviously not very familiar with the Swedish elite league, so you're going to have to kind of forgive me on this, but... He apparently is an excellent two-way center who has drawn comparisons to Anze Kopitar and Jonathan Taves. Well, you, so, can't, you can never have too many guys like that. I mean, yeah, I would love to get a two-way center with the number eight pick. That sounds just fine to me. Yeah, let him develop for a year or two and then bring him on over. I think that's a great idea. 
the only thing is I still I still think they should focus on D just because when you look at what they have organizationally, you got Secura, you've got um Edgel who played pretty well at the end of the year. You've got 14 who you still think has some good hockey in him and can make a difference at the NHL level. There's still some guys in the pipeline offensively that can come up and have that sort of versatility. I really liked what we saw from Edsel towards the end of the year. I thought that he's a guy that can stick, that can play, uh, you know, three or four center uh, next season. So I don't know. I, I just think that D is a priority right now. You've got to get as deep as you can defensively. Um, even if Yokoharu comes out and he's a star, if this eighth pick is three, four years away, that's when you're looking at the end of the career of Duncan Keith and the end of the career of Brent Seabrook, and you're going to hope you have some guys to plug in and uh, keep the team at least close to the level they were when they were winning Stanley Cups. I, I think it's going to be tough to find another Duncan Keith Hall of Famer and another Brent mm-hmm. Seabrook player who was great for a really, really, really long time. It's unlikely you're going to be able to match that, but if you can find you know, two Nicholas Jalmersons, Somewhere in there, you're in pretty good shape, and you can win with that. So, um, to me, that's a priority. Unless some great forward falls to them, uh, I think D. It has to be defense. It's got to be, and that's the mm-hmm. way the Hawks are going. I, I'm I'm fairly confident that they will. But you know, Stan Bowman has been known to uh, pull a trick out of his sleeve uh, now and again. So who knows? I, yeah, it, it's going to be I, exciting. I, just, I think that center is a, definitely a way that they can go, and I think that center depth is something that we have talked about, especially if there's any inkling at all that they may want to try to move Jonathan Taves to wing at some point. And I think that with the number eight pick in the draft, I feel like it's so much different than when they drafted Yokoharu. I think that they can afford, I think they can legitimately say that this person could be not in the NHL right away, but like a year or two away. Like it's not going to be a guy who's going to make an impact right away, most likely. But I also don't think that it's going to be, no, this guy is going to go play for three years. I think that at the eighth spot in the draft, I feel like you can definitely find a guy who's a year or two away from potentially contributing. And looking at the NHL draft prospect rankings that Central Scouting puts together, it seems like the top kind of 13, 14 guys is pretty heavily stacked with defensemen. So, Jay, I think that you might have something on that because you have a lot of guys like Quentin Hughes, Noah Dobson, you've got uh, guys like, oh man, Jared McIsaac, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> and Ty Smith. You have a lot of defensemen that are up near the top of the rankings. So I think there's going to be plenty of blue line options there, but I also definitely would not say no if they wanted to maybe try to get a guy to potentially be a number you know, one or two center within the next probably one or two years. I'd be totally fine with that, too. Yeah, I, I could see it. I could definitely see it. All right, let's take a break, and when we come back, we'll get into some playoff conversation. Uh, we are, what, 15 minutes in here. We haven't taken a break yet. So going to get into some playoff conversation, going to get to your emails as well. But before we take a break, we got to tell you about our friends at Triple Threat Sports. We are in the middle of softball season. We're in the middle of baseball season. Uh, you know, other the fall sports are right around the corner, believe it or not. Football camps are going to be opening uh, in a couple months. So if you need your team to be outfitted in the best looking jerseys or, uh, you know, apparel around triple threat sports is the place to go. They can help you design a logo. They can help you design the way the uniform looks, the way it fits every aspect of the job they can do, even when it comes down to wristbands or bags or helmets or hats, anything you need designed triple threat sports will get it done and it will look phenomenal when it is done. So hit them up triplethreatsports.com or send an email to chris at triplethreatsports that's chris at triplethreatsports 708-478-6090 triplethreatsports.com when we come back we'll talk about the playoffs so far and then we'll get to your emails on the madhouse chicago hockey podcast welcome back into the madhouse chicago hockey podcast we actually spent the first 15 minutes of this show roughly talking about the nhl draft Even though Jay and I are not extensive draft experts, we haven't watched a ton of film on any of these guys yet, but we definitely talked about it, and I will even say that we did a pretty good job. And speaking of a good job, I wanted to give a shout-out to our friends. I know Jay has been out to a Chicago Steel game or two in his day, and I had a lot of fun covering them last season and going to one of their games this season. The Chicago Steel may actually have a first-round talent on their roster this season. How about that? Forward, 
Blake McLaughlin is currently ranked number 24 among North American skaters on the NHL Central scouting list, so he could be a first-round pick. And the Steel also have another player on that list, Graham Lillibridge, whom I got to cover an interview last season when I worked at The Athletic. He is an undersized defenseman, great offensively, really solid player, currently ranks number 192 on the NHL draft list. So, Jay, congrats to the fire, or to the steel, my friend. I <laughs> was thinking about fire. soccer for some reason just now. Whatever. But, yeah, they just tied Toronto FC. We're not going to talk about that. We're going to talk about Grant and Graham and Blake and how awesome they are. So, congratulations to those two for potentially getting drafted into the NHL in the uh, upcoming draft. I love going to steel games. I, I, I know that I was paid to do one, you know, back when with work. But I was so impressed with the level of hockey at those games. It, it's really, if I live closer to Fox Valley, I live nowhere near Fox Valley. But if I live closer to there, like within 20 miles, I could see myself getting out to, you know, five to ten games a year because it is high-level hockey, and it's young guys. Like, I know you go to an AHL game, and you see high-level hockey, but it's some guys sort of just hanging on to their careers and guys who have maybe, like, had a cup of coffee in the NHL, and they're not maybe not unhappy in the AHL, but they'd rather be in the end, and they're not just not playing with the same intensity. The USHL is super intense, super fast, uh, really, really great hockey. So if you get a chance, go see the Steel. They have not paid us to tell you this by any means. No. Uh, I love watching the Steel play. I've been to three games now in my life. All three of them were exciting and awesome. And from what I was told, pretty typical of the Chicago Steel experience. So make sure if you're out in that area, if you're in the Western Burbs, go out there and check out the Steel. They are phenomenal. It's a great time. Super family family friendly, of course. Um, and, uh, you know, good concessions, which is important. Yeah. Uh, speaking of teams that haven't paid us to uh, shill for them, Jay and I had a little bit of an interesting revelation this week. Um, oh, yeah. As as I'm sure y'all remember when we had our big Chicago Wolves event earlier this year, which, by the way, we sold out our allotment of tickets. We did damn good with that. 50 pair. Anyway. So apparently there is a subsection of Blackhawks fans who are actually angry that we are affiliated in some way with the Chicago Wolves, and they are mad that we did not do an event with the Rockford Ice Hogs. I had no idea this was a thing until Jay texted me, and I was like, wait, what? Yeah. Like, this was complete. This game is a complete shock to me, man. (laughs) Me too. I got an email from one of my old students at Lewis, who's a huge uh, Hawks fan. He said he was on like one of the Reddit boards, just sort of reading about the Hawks. And some guy said like, "Oh, I, I bet uh, Jay and James are happy that the, you know, uh, are unhappy that the Ice Hawks eliminated the Wolves." And uh, he sort of, I guess, he followed up with them like, "What do you mean by that?" And he's like, "They only do events with the Wolves. They're traitors." Like, I don't know <laughs> if this is one guy or a handful of guys or what, but there is at least a few people. That aren't happy. Here's the deal. This is the the honest truth. First of all, love working with the Wolves. They've always been great to the podcast. They've always been great to James and I personally. I think the people that did go to the event can vouch for how well we were treated by the Wolves. But they reached out to us. The Wolves said, hey, we'd like to have an event with you guys. Me and James and the Wolves, we all worked it out together and figured out the best plan and executed it. If the Rockford Icehawks would like us to come out to a game... We are very easy to find. We would love to go out there. Look, Rockford's far, but I know we have listeners out there, and I would love to yes, go out do. there and meet some listeners if the if the Ice Hawks, excuse me, if the Ice Hawks want to give us a block of tickets to sell to our fans or to give away to our listeners, whatever. Uh, we're game. Like by all means, if there's anyone from the Rockford Ice Hawks listening, we would love to do it. James and I would both be happy to find a night that works for us. Go out there together. Meet fans, hang out, whatever you want to do. We're happy to do it. But the Wolves reached out to us, and we're not going to say no. That's ridiculous. Yeah. It was a great time. It's a Chicago sports team, regardless of who they're affiliated with when. Uh, and they treated us like kings, and they treated our listeners like kings, and that's what really matters. So yeah. uh, nothing personal against the Ice Hogs. I think, full disclosure, when we discussed having the event with the Wolves, the conversation was said, like, should we have it a game against Rockford? And we decided not to because we didn't want fans coming in uh, under the Madhouse podcast label 
cheering against our host, the Wolves. Right. So we decided to do it against the Bakersfield Condors, a neutral opponent, and it worked out great. If Rockford wants to bring us in, we're happy to do it whenever they want. Just let us know, madhousepod at gmail.com. Again, we are very easy to find if they want us. And to be completely honest, like I don't speak for you, Jay, when I say this. I'm just all about supporting local hockey. Of course. If the Chicago Steel want to have us out, I am totally game for that. If the Rockford Ice Hogs want to have us out, I'm totally down for that. I feel like it's totally okay, especially now that the Wolves aren't the Blues affiliate anymore. And there's not really that element to the rivalry now. But, like, it's just it's good to support local hockey. And these teams and the people that work for them are doing some absolutely incredible work. The Wolves do a great job on social media and in their in-game experience. They do some great stuff over at Allstate, and I think they need to be recognized for that. And you're absolutely right. They treated our listeners like absolute royalty when we went to that game. And I guarantee you, with the folks that I know with the Rockford Isogs, they would do the exact same thing. So if if we want to do an event with the Isogs, I guarantee you it would be just as awesome as that. And we are totally game for that. We're not like, oh, we picked the Wolves over Rockford. What? No, man. I'm all. We're all about it. You know. For sure. But, yeah, Look, if the I, St. Louis I, Blues want to have us down for a game, now nah, we're not going to do that. Nah, I, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> Who wants no, to go to St. No, Louis? No. no. <laughs> sorry, sorry, big guy. I'm not. I'm not going there. Oh God, that is. Do you know that big guy is the way to trigger me more than anything in the world? What snowflake? What's that you said? What? You know that big people hate being called big guy, right? Like it's, it's the worst thing you can say to a big guy is big guy. Actually, no, I didn't know that. And All right, well, think about it. Think about this, okay? Let me just since you since you got me started on my little rant, I'm going to continue it. Uh, if you're a large human being, or you have any sort of ailment, big ears, a big nose, whatever. Uh, you know, let's say you're, you're a guy with big ears, you know, you're like Andrew Siciliano from the NFL network on direct TV. Um, and someone's like, Hey, what's up big ears? No, no, that's not cool. If a guy's walking down the street, he's got a big nose. Hey, what's up big schnoz? What's going on, man? No, that is not a, that is not a kind greeting. It is not a, uh, it's not something that makes the person receiving said comment feel very good about themselves. And big guy qualifies the same way. Hmm. It's also condescending. I've never only like exclusively used it on big guys per se. Like, I feel like I kind of like use it interchangeably with like terms like sir or dude. Like it's never really been like a, no, oh, that guy is a portly gentleman. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to call him big guy. No, well, it's never. Let me just tell really you that com- portly gentlemen, when they hear that, hear it that way. Huh. Yeah, I, did, I I guess, like, it totally makes sense now that you, like, obviously say it. But, no, nah, man, I've never expi- I've never explicitly used it only with guys who are, like, bigger. Well, you should so, retire yeah, it. I'm going to actually, like, kind of make that a point to kind of, like, start to take that out of my vocabulary, I think, because I've never really used it, like, exclusively in that way. I believe you. I, do, I don't think you've ever used it in an insulting way. But this is also a message for the uh, – if we have any listeners in the homeless community um, – I'm happy to give homeless people money. I do it all the time. But if you call me big guy, now that wallet's staying in my pocket. And it happens all the time. Hey, big guy, give me some change. No, you just called me fat. Mm. <laughs> Maybe that's cold, but it's like, ugh, it is such a turnoff for me to be called big. It, it just, it's always bothered me. So Now, let me, let me ask you this. Since we're on the uh, topic of, like, being addressed by, like, certain titles... When were you, were you ever at an age where you were offended to be called sir? Uh, not really. I kind of like when, when I was in my like late twenties, early thirties and young people would call me, sir, that kind of bothered me just, but it wasn't like it was respectful. It's like, Ooh, I'm too young to be, sir. You know what I mean? Right now I, people call me, sir, all the time. And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm old as shit. So feel free. Um, you know, call me sir all you want and it doesn't bother me anymore, but no, I don't think it ever bothered me. Like that's insulting. It was more like, Ugh, am I really a sir? Like, do people see me as a sir? That was more how I feel about that. Yeah. I, I think I can go with that too. Like I never, I don't think I ever like really, I don't remember the first time I got called sir, honestly. And I call so many people by that title now, like I'll say sir or ma'am that it like basically 
I, I never even think about age when I do it. I just kind of say it, you know, like it's not it's not something I reserve exclusively for those of us with gray hair or crow's feet or anything like that. I am a uh, I will always say sir or ma'am to get a stranger's attention. Like absolutely. If, like if they, if they drop something like, oh, sir, you dropped your your pen or you dropped your ID or whatever. You dropped your pants, sir. I'm always a sir or man. Wow, this has been a really riveting playoff breakdown. Um, why don't we do <laughs> no, this? We're talking about etiquette. I'm sure people are fascinated by this. All right, let's take another time out. Let's regroup and come back with some red hot playoff analysis, and then we'll get to your emails. But before the break, we have to tell you about the poor boy capital of the world, Marishka's in Crest Hill, 604 oh, yes. Theodore Street, family owned and operated since 1933. And when I say when you go in there, it shows that it's been family-owned and operated since 1933. It does. It runs like a well-oiled machine, an oil uh, machine that has been oiled with uh, garlic butter and love for thirty since 1933. It's an awesome place. Marishka's is one of our favorites. I cannot wait to get back out there. Our buddy Joe is out there running things, staying in touch with the podcast at all times, so we appreciate their continued support. But go check them out. The Poor Boys, I already mentioned, outstanding. The first time you go... To Marishka's, that's what you should get. You're a fool if you don't. Uh, and when you go back the second, third, fourth time, maybe then you venture into something new, like the burgers, like the chops, like the seafood. Listen, everything at Marishka is great. What I do is I get the poor boy with the onion rings and the twice baked potato, and I am set for life. I think James, last time you and I went, it was Lent, and they had the uh, the the walleye special or the uh, the cod special rather, and mm-hmm. that was amazing. Uh, everything there is good. Everyone there leaves happy and full. So go check out Marishka's 604 Theodore Street in Crest Hill. Facebook.com slash Marishka's or Marishka's.com. M-E-R-I-C-H-K-A-S. Close only on Christmas, Easter, the 4th of July, and Thanksgiving. So get on out to Crest Hill and get to Marishka's. All right, when we come back, we promise we will actually discuss the NHL playoffs on the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Welcome back into the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast, where we not only tell you about what the Blackhawks should do in the NHL draft, but we also give you etiquette lessons to make you a better person. Yeah, don't call fat people a big guy. Not yeah, a starter. that is not a thing that I realized I did. It could be taken as an offense, and I'm going to stop doing it. But speaking of stopping, we're going to stop not talking about hockey. Ah, stop not are... talking hockey. <laughs> I don't think anyone has ever texted the score and uttered those words, but we will hold out hope. Um, Yeah, so all four playoff series right now are 1-1. We literally have not done a podcast during the playoffs yet. Yeah, we needed some space from hockey. Yeah. And then the first run happened, and I'm like, (laughs) the first run happened, and I was like, I'm back. (laughs) Yeah, I I watched the Washington-Columbus series pretty frequently, and I also watched quite a few of the uh, Vegas LA games, but other than that, like none of the first round series were particularly like thrilling to me. Like that, the Pittsburgh uh, Philadelphia series ended up being a giant snooze fest. Yeah, that was so depressing. But then obviously Boston and Toronto, as it went on, got super good, and obviously Game Seven was nuts. But I, I think the one that kind of held my attention consistently from uh, start to finish was probably Washington and Columbus. What do you think? I agree. And uh, who could think that Artemi Panera will be out in the first round? What a shock. I'm just ah, kidding. I'm just see, kidding. Every, everybody was talking so much crap yep. after the first three games. What did he do the rest of the series? Nothing. Not a damn thing. That guy disappeared and i have not been in our temi panera sucked in the playoffs no you have not ever i've never been hardcore on that bandwagon but where are you at now folks where are you at now after you gave me so much crap about panera and being good the first two or three games of that series and then doing nothing in crunch time for the blue jackets yeah i was more kidding i don't want to i think he he had i mean the first half of that series he was good i just you know when the Hawks have a bad year, everybody sucks. Every trade in history has been terrible. They should trade the whole team. And the Brandon Sod for Panarin trade made no sense. Well, really, when you sit back and look at the logics, the logics, the logistics of that trade of Artemi Panarin has an expiring contract and they won't be able to sign him. And Brandon Sod's younger and signed for longer, for cheaper. It all makes perfect sense. And just because Sod had a down year statistically, 
doesn't change the fact that it was the right trade to move at the time. Anyway, we're not doing the show again. Yes, the playoffs have been very exciting. Uh, I find myself, and I know I'm one of the rare people, I like the Toronto Maple Leafs. There, I said it. I want them to do well. I want them to win. I want them to succeed. Now that Mike Babcock is not in Detroit anymore, I like him. I like he's like a snarky, kind of a sarcastic douche. <laughs> you know, I like that about him. Uh, I was rooting for the Leafs. I wanted them to win badly. I didn't realize how badly I wanted them to win until Game 7. And then Game 7 came, and they became the Leafs. Here's the thing. Yes. I like I like the Leafs. They're fun to watch. Their fans alternate between really fun and really freaking annoying. Yes. The media that covers that team needs to be shot into the sun. But see, I can watch the Maple Leafs without following Steve Simmons. Or uh, who's the other following James Myrtle and right. all of these idiots who are even broaching the potential topic of trading Austin Matthews or Steve for the Dangle. love of God. Are you insane? <laughs> like there is just no freaking way that that can at all be a thing. Uh, no, just- I agree with you, but you're right about the insufferability of the peripheral uh, Toronto Maple Leafs uh, landscape. Wow, that kind of blew myself away with my vocabulary there. That was a really good phrase, actually. I just passed out after I did it. Oh, what was that? Um, anyway, um, I can like them, though, without that. I can ignore that stuff. And keep in mind, you and I are Cub fans, so we can't really talk. That That is 100% <laughs> true. I can acknowledge that. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I was a little disappointed when uh, Toronto left. The big thing for me that I'm finding this playoffs is I just want someone new to win. Like, I find myself rooting for newness, so I want the Jets to beat the Predators. I want, you know, I wanted Toronto to win. I want Tampa to beat Boston. I know that's not really totally the same, but I want right. new blood. I, like, that's the Vegas and Sharks thing for me. I, I said uh, when the playoffs began, I wanted the Sharks to win, and I still do. I really like that core of players like Pavelski, Thornton, uh, for years, Patrick Marlowe, who is now with the Leafs, uh, Brent <laughs> Burns. I think that team has been so good for so long. I'd like to see them rewarded for that. I think they're a well-run team, a well-managed team. They just haven't been able to put it together, and they've run into some dynasties in their prime. So I find myself rooting for them a little bit, but the Vegas thing is incredible. Yeah. And the fact that there's really no other way to describe it. I mean, they are just rampaging through the Western Conference right now. Uh, The Sharks pulled out the double overtime winner, but the Knights had actually sort of won the game before that. Yeah. On an interference that was a right call. It was a right call, but it was ticky-tack kind of borderline. Again, the right call, but it was right there again. They could have been, what, 6-0 and in the playoffs at that point. Their run has been incredible, and that's something I sort of want to talk about tonight, James, is we see throughout every sports league, as teams start to win and maybe win it consistently, the other teams around the league try to copycat that. They try to mimic that. Like, you'll see, like, NFL teams have not prioritized running backs as much as they used to. Um, You know, it's more receiver-heavy and quarterback-focused and things like that. You know, the NBA, like, now it's like, get that one-star player, you're not going to win. Baseball, now it's all about on-base percentage and all those things, and rightfully so, right? We found that those things work. I'm wondering now in hockey, with the emergence of the Golden Knights uh, and, you know, the sustained success of some of the better teams like the Penguins, if the new philosophy is going to be depth over, uh, t- like top heavy, you know what I mean? Because that's what the, that's how the Knights are doing it. The Knights are roaring are rolling like four second lines, when you think about it, right? That's kind of the comparison you would say. And they have three, they have three pairs of number three and four defensemen, and that has been. There's no big drop off. Every line they put out there is capable of scoring, is capable of defending and capable of playing competent playoff hockey. And while they don't have that guy, that Sidney Crosby, that Patrick Kane, uh, you know, players like that, the, the collection is better than uh, the individual. And I think that I wonder if Vegas does actually go all the way and win the Stanley Cup or get to the Cup final, if teams are going to start to look at that sort of depth over superstar philosophy. There are two things that I kind of want to say in response to uh your thoughts about maybe copying Vegas thought. Number one, I feel like it's really difficult to try to copy what they did based solely on the fact on how they were constructed and kind of 
getting guys, you know, that were cast offs from other teams. And I think that we've talked a lot on this uh, podcast about the psychological elements that go into a locker room and the makeup of a team and all that. And I think one of the driving forces behind this Vegas team, and correct me if you think I'm wrong on this, is I absolutely think that the chip on their shoulders, their collective shoulders from basically being given up on by other organizations, I feel like has partly fueled their rise to prominence and really kind of given them the motivation to prove the doubters wrong. And that's not to take anything away from George McPhee or anything that they've done in the leadership position in Vegas. But I just, I get the sense that that team plays with a gigantic chip on their shoulders. I'm not going to dismiss that. I think there's probably some truth to it for sure. And yeah, like guys like James Neal, who have been really good players everywhere they've gone, right, uh, are are cast off. And that, that guys have pride. And I think hockey may be more than other sports where guys sort of take things personally that way. Um, I just don't know how much that's in their head, like, as they're playing, right? Like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm on this penalty kill. Those bastards gave up on me. I'm going to block this shot, right? I think yeah. that sometimes we talk about that more than it actually helps. But I do think that, coupled with the great start they had, coupled oh, yeah. with, holy crap, we just swept through the first round. Right. Like all these things are all building up to you have enough talent. You've got the depth that I mentioned. You've got the chip on the shoulder. You've got now you've got the belief that, okay, we're not just a regular season fluke. We're a legitimately good team that are making the lives of good teams very difficult during these playoffs. When you put all that together, that can be the sort of thing that becomes unstoppable in the playoffs. Now, I still think that whoever comes out of the Nashville Winnipeg series is going to win the West and is frankly going to win the Stanley Cup. But would it shock you to see the Vegas Golden Knights get to the Western final in advance? That would not shock me. It really wouldn't. After seeing them through, uh, now they're in their sixth playoff game of the year. They've been the most impressive playoff team I've seen. I would agree with that wholeheartedly. And I think that it wouldn't shock me at all to see that. And I think that any lingering doubts about whether this was kind of like an 82 game darling have kind of been eliminated based on the way that they dispatched the LA Kings with just ruthless efficiency. And I got to give a shout out to uh, one of the sports anchors at NBC, Jeff Blanzy works on uh, weekends and he's not by any means a hockey expert. He is a very, he's a fan of it, but he's not, you know, obviously as in tune with it and as obsessed with it as we are. He described the Vegas Golden Knights in an absolutely perfect way. He called them the most relentless team he can remember watching. They just do not quit ever. They do not let up. They are constantly coming at you. And it wears teams down, honestly. It really does to have that kind of like effect on a 60-minute game to just continuously roll your lines and especially like you mentioned with the, you know, basically rolling four second lines, having the ability to do that adds to that relentlessness. And it really makes a big impact on the psyche of other teams as you play them. And we've seen it as these playoffs have gone along and they were one sort of questionable call away from having won six straight playoff games to start this thing. Well, and we've seen it before this. And when you saw the 2010, 2013 and 2015 Blackhawks, Though especially the 2013 team, that was as deep a team as you're ever going to see anymore in hockey. And you talked about the relentless nature. What what James is explaining is not just the ability to go physical, make a hit in the corner, you know, outplay physically and emotionally your opponent, but your opponent doesn't get a break. You know, Never. when you skate a guy Never. like uh, I don't know, like Brandon Boldig out on the ice, like the opponent's like, all right, I think if he's out there. We're probably okay. <laughs> like we're not going to get scored on, right? But if that if if you're having enough, if every line you have has a scoring threat on it or two scoring threats on it, you do not get a reprieve. That means that your top defensemen are playing more minutes. It means yep. your top checking forwards are playing more minutes. And as the game goes on, while you're just rolling along your four lines, putting out there whoever you want, the other team is just like, um, like just grasping at straws and and just paddling like what, what am i trying to say like a trying to not drown 
They're basically just continuously canoeing it. upstream. There is no break at all when you're playing a team like that. It just always feels like you're on your end of the ice defending your goal. And that Blackhawks comparison is really good. When they were allowing like 25, 26 shots on goal a game, that's demoralizing for a team to just never have the damn puck. And you're always chasing it. And that's what it feels like with Vegas is even when you have the puck, they are still forechecking the crap out of you. They are constantly forcing you to do the dump and chase and try to go get it. And you're just trying like crazy to get through the neutral zone. And you just can never do it without being challenged and having four lines that are capable of not only playing that kind of defense, but also keeping the puck away from you for minute, minute and a half shifts the entire game. That that drains your resolve pretty damn fast, and that's exactly what Vegas does. Yeah, I, I didn't think I'd be rooting for them in these playoffs, but after seeing their first five games, uh, it's hard to root against them. It's been really impressive. Uh, it's been actually kind of inspiring, and uh, I, I hope they pull through, man. I, I really do. I mean, for my own selfishness, I, I believe I picked the Predators to win the Cup, and I also set in a score that I think the Jets have a good shot. But, man, it'd be, it would be really cool for the sport to see an expansion team win the championship in their first year. Yeah, that I, would picked be great. Bo- I picked Boston to win the cup, but I would have absolutely no issue if Vegas somehow managed to do it. Obviously, that would be one of the great sports stories in the history of organized sports, an expansion team winning a championship their first year. And then especially with a league with 31 teams, it's not like when the teams like the Blues came in when it went from six to 12 and it was like a new team automatically was going to make the cup final. Like this would be a Herculean accomplishment if they were able to do it for sure. And before we move on to emails, uh, you mentioned the Bruins and one guy that's kind of been on my mind has been Rick Nash. Um, you know, I don't know how I feel about him and maybe this is a, a good off season topic, but that was a guy who came in so hyped he came in as like the first face of the Columbus Blue Jackets, right? Like he was their mm-hmm. first star player, the first guy you'd pay to see, et cetera, et cetera. Do you feel that his career has been like what it's supposed to be? No. I, I don't like do you, I, do I feel you think... like he he had all of the like hype and potential of maybe not a superstar because that's like, you know, Sidney Crosby, Alex Ovechkin, Connor McDavid level, mm-hmm. but like that next tier down, I feel like the extremely good, you know, really strong, like 15 year career. And no, I don't feel like he's lived up to that. And I feel like watching the Toronto series, he honestly may have been Boston's biggest liability in terms of forwards. He just constantly, was making bad decisions all over the ice, committed a couple of really dumb penalties, and just didn't add much to anything for them offensively. I mean, they basically, their offense all came from Pasternak, Bergeron, and Marshan. Like, they drove their offense in that first-round series, and Rick Nash was basically a non-entity unless he was doing something stupid and you know, negative for that team. Yeah. See, you're totally right. And the thing about him is like, it feels like a guy I've been waiting for to arrive. And now he's 40. (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? Like, I've just been waiting for that. uh, Okay. Like, this is going to be the year where Rick Nash, like really takes it to the next level. Like when he went to the Rangers, you thought that maybe that would be the change he needed, right? Like, okay, get out of Columbus not that there's a big spotlight there, but like he never took off to be the star he was expected to be, and they were never really great around him. Uh, so maybe like going to a team where he can be not the guy every night would be good for him. No, I mean, but again, he had some decent years. He's not a bad player. No, I just feel like the whole of what Rick Nash was supposed to be has fallen way short of what I expected. And I think what a lot of people expected. Um, again, I don't know if this is interesting to anyone, but I just seeing him in a Bruins uniform is weird to me. It's kind of like jarring. Like, ugh, he's not is a. Is it Bruin. still weird for you seeing uh, David Backus in a Bruins jersey? I just jarring for me to see him anyway. Ah, but no, see, <laughs> to me though, like he, I he fits there. Like he's a Bruiny kind of a guy. Like he's kind of a dick. 
<laughs> he's a power forward. Uh, you know, he looks like he says some things to people. You know, he, uh, he looks like he eats dogs, you know, like in the off season. That That's like a Boston kind of guy. Um, I just, I don't know. The Nash thing with him in Boston is weird. I don't, I don't know. It's, it's, he scored a sweet goal the other night. Um, that's kind of yeah. what got my mind percolating about him, but I don't know. Just sort of interesting. I just, I've been thinking about Rick Nash lately and God, what a pathetic statement that is. Yeah. Oh, by the way, uh, before we get to emails, they do have to ask you, uh, yes or no suspension on Tom Wilson. Should he have been suspended for the hit that he threw yesterday? You know, I'm going to be honest with you. I did not see it. <laughs> I all had, right. All yeah, right. I Sorry had, to ambush you like no, that. No, that's okay. I, I figured we've talked enough about guys like Brad Marchand and hits like that that I was curious if the uh, Tom Wilson hit had come up on your radar. And for the record, he's in Brad Marchand territory for me where he has exceeded, like he doesn't get the benefit of the doubt anymore. Mm-hmm. So I would suspend him personally. Like anytime there's a questionable hit where he gets somebody in the head. I think I can safely default to he needs to be suspended. So All right. I would suspend Tom Wilson. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to mark that conversation because that's something I would like to, like in the summer months when the cup has been won and the draft has happened and free agency's done and we're looking for things to talk about, I like that angle. The angle of should a guy with a history get a not have, should he have different rules? Because that's kind of what you're advocating for. As you're saying, like, because he's done it before, there should be a different level of expectation or punishment for him. I'm right. not saying I disagree. I'm not saying I agree. Let's bench that for now and get yeah. to it this summer. I really like that topic because I truly right now don't know how I feel about it. And right. uh, it's got my mind moving, which I like. We'll, we'll put a we'll put a pin in that grenade. But I will say that I think that in the league where you kind of see guys like get suspended based on severity of injury. And I've never really been a big fan of that. Yeah. I think that intention is something that you probably have to try to glean in situations like this. And I think that's what I mean when I say that, like he's kind of exhausted benefit of the doubt. Like I'm not going to automatically assume that, ah, oh, he didn't mean to do that, but no, I'm not going to, I'm not defaulting to that with him. Tom Wilson is a jag and he makes bad hits like that all the time and it annoys me so that's totally fair and we will definitely get to that this summer i love it that's that'll be a that could be a whole episode all right with that are you ready to answer some emails i i am astonished at how much hockey talk we've done so absolutely i'm in for emails let's do it Email the guys at madhousepod at gmail.com or follow them on Twitter at madhousepod. The email segment, as always, is brought to you by our friends at Chuck's Southern Comforts Cafe with locations in Burbank and Darien. Darien right off I-55 and Cass Avenue, Burbank on 79th Street and Natchez. Visit chuckscafe.com for menu, items, locations, all that stuff. The menus are different at both spots. The specials are different at both spots. So before you go, the menu's huge. You're going to want to have an idea of what you're getting into before you go to Chuck's. But listen, whatever you order, you're going to love. So maybe it doesn't truly matter, but it can be overwhelming because there's so many offerings. But the best Mexican, Cajun, American bar food, the barbecue there is phenomenal. Everything at Chuck's is great. You may have had Chuck's in your life and not even known it because they cater too. And they do have a hell of a job with their catering. Um, So go visit our friends at Chuck's Southern Comforts Cafe. They've got a loaded beer menu, the 120 Beer Club. Try 120 different beers. Get your name on the wall. Get a T-shirt, all that fun stuff. Uh, they're open for breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. So you're going to want to go to Chuck's Cafe and chuckscafe.com. Check them out. Burbank, Darien, Chuck's Southern Comforts Cafe. We love them, and so will you. All right. First email comes from Alex B. Not Alex A. Alex B. He says, hello, James and Jay. How are y'all doing? Uh Uh-oh. What's your favorite memory or moment from the season? Okay. There's a lot of questions here, so let's do them one by one. My favorite moment of the season was beating the Blues uh, in a last-second Duncan Keith goal that put their playoff hopes in doubt and then eventually resulted in them not making the playoffs. That was my favorite moment, aside from the home opener or the season opener where they blew the doors off the Penguins. I, I would say that it's very close between that Duncan Keith goal, which 
<laughs> Still cracks me up how many people tweeted at me and went, hey, your guy Duncan Keith scored. Because I made it a point throughout the season to like mess around with how many shots he had without a goal. So that basically like became like my calling card. Anytime Duncan Keith scored a goal, everybody was like, hey, James, look at this. This guy did the thing. So it's probably a tie between that and, of course, accountant Scott Foster. Yeah. I mean, God, talk about like in a lost season, you just you want something to latch on to like that. And that was flipping phenomenal, dude. I loved that. So I'd say it's probably a tie between those two. All right. He says, do you think the Hawks will try to find another backup goalie or try to stick with what they have and improve the D? Oh, my God. Yes, they'll definitely find another backup. Yes, there is no... If they go into next season with Anton Forsberg as their backup goaltender, I'm going to be mildly irritated. Uh, with that, he asks, what offseason moves do you expect from Sam Bowman? I think that he's going to try everything he can to try to get a top four defenseman. I don't know how he's going to do it, whether that's going into free agency and getting a guy like John Carlson or making a trade. But I think that's got to be probably priority number one. And I know that I've mentioned in the past that I really think this team needs to bolster their forward depth in the top six. But I, th I feel like if you have to pick one or the other, I, I think probably Bowman will end up going the defensive route. I agree, and I think the way he does it is by trading Artem and Isimov. I think that happens that, at the I, draft. I would say that's probably accurate. And then really ups the ante on them needing to get that top six forward depth. If you're going to trade Artem and Isimov and really spread yourself thin at that position. Uh, what is the most outrageous offseason move you could see happening? Uh, I think we talked about this, didn't yeah. we? Like we, we picked like the guy that would like annoy us most for the Blackhawks to sign. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just, there's so we when we went through the free agents we did it, and I was just like, "Here's a guy that did, sucks that will certainly be signed by the Hawks." I think we said <laughs> what like Ian Cole or something. Yeah, so much, yeah, yeah. I think Ian Cole was what we went with. Go back and listen to the last episode; it's in there. All right, and then he says uh, Connor Murphy is a decent to good defenseman, despite some of the mistakes he made, and expecting him to be prime shot blocking god. Jalmerson 2.0 uh, is a bit unfair to Murphy. He's a decent bottom four guy who can play top pair in a pinch. Uh, I like him as a three. I like him as a four. Um, I think he will get better than where he is right now. Um, yeah. And I'm not anti Connor Murphy at all. I know there are, there is a group of Hawks fans that are. I don't know if Joel Quenville is his biggest fan, but uh, put me on Team Murphy. I liked what I saw from him. And when he was left alone, he played pretty well. So I have hopes that he can do that uh, as his career develops. I would like to see him maybe up his physicality just a little bit. Um, I also would like to see him. He took initiative offensively pretty well toward the second half of the season. I'd like to see that carry over for a full uh, 82 games. So I also liked what I saw from Connor Murphy. I would say that there is an argument to be made that he was probably in your top two defensemen throughout the season in terms of just being impressed with his production and his play. And I feel like he's a guy that they definitely – they, they made a solid move getting him. Obviously, I still miss Jalmerson, but I still feel like Connor Murphy played pretty well considering the circumstances that he was uh, presented with this year. Next email from Alex J. McKenna, CEO of Local Syntax Solutions, LLC, in Raleigh, North Carolina. Very Ooh. fancy. Alec, he says, hey, guys, dedicated listener out here in Raleigh, home of the Carolina Blackhawks, it seems. Ah, nice. My heart just broke. Keep up the great work. Listening to episode 23 this morning, and I'm laughing, crying at the thought of trading Taves. However, let's always remember that Gretzky was traded. Anyone can be traded. Hypothetically, yeah. let's say that Taves is traded. Who becomes the next captain of the Chicago Blackhawks? To me, if that's the only guy traded, it's Brent Seabrook. Absolutely, 100%. Could not agree with you any more. I feel like that is like the foregonest of foregone conclusions. If it was only Jonathan Taves and not Brent Seabrook, it would absolutely be Seabrook in a heartbeat. They would put that C on his chest. Now, if it was Taves and Seabrook, that's where you start to get into kind of interesting territory because... That's Keith. I, 
<laughs> is it? Yeah. I don't think it, they give it to Kane. It, you don't give it to Kane? No, I don't think so. Hmm. It's interesting. He hasn't worn an A. I know. True, but he's also been. I mean, on a he team has that, like when guys have been hurt. Yes, I. Well, we're no, gonna get emails. Hey, Patrick Kane, Warren, hey, I'm on November 26, uh, 2014. Okay, I know, but he doesn't wear it regularly. But there is no question that once Patrick Sharp left and gave up that A, there was zero question it was going to be Brent Seabrook that was going to get it. Right. Like he's the. I think Jonathan Taves is the leader of the team. I feel like Brent Seabrook is the vocal leader of the team. So That's it's true. pretty obvious that those two are one and one A in terms of guys who could wear the C. I don't know, man. I think they would at least entertain the notion of giving it to Kane. But I think ultimately, yeah, they'd probably end up settling on Keith. I think Kane ends up with an A in that scenario. I think you probably have oh, Kane absolutely. and Saad with A's and Keith with a C. That's what I would think. But that will never happen. Okay. Put it on Brandon Mashinter, my friend. <laughs> oh, God. And I got to throw up. Okay. Weird in Brookfield says, in these super technology-rich times, how have they not put multiple cameras under the ice of the goals along the front line? Seems easy enough, even if it just shows a shadowy puck through a semi-translucent ice possibly crossing the line. This is a good question. I like the idea of under ice cameras. I think it can work. I think Weird, you're on to something. This is almost as good as my puck sensor idea that is papooed disrespectfully by James Novo every time I bring it up. You want the glow puck back, Jay? It's not is the that glow what puck. you want? Here's what you have. You have a puck, a hockey puck. You've seen these before? You heard of these? Okay. Along the perimeter of said puck, there are several dime-sized metallic sensors, Okay. On the top, on the bottom, then it's sealed in the vulcanized rubber. Then in the goal line itself, you have a sensor that can sense these lines going over them, okay? Then if all 10 of these dime-sized sensors cross the line and this line can count the dimes, then you have a goal. It's so simple. But I like the idea of the under-ice camera. That I like better because it's cool. And you could see, like, let's go to the under ice camera. I love that idea. You want you the only problem with secret, that is Jay? here's you the hang on. Secret, no, I'm rolling. Hang I'm on. Willing to bet that if this technology was able to be deployed, they would have done it already. You're talking about oh, yeah. putting sensors into rubber. Yeah. I strongly mm -hmm. doubt that they're just like, oh, yeah, we could do this, but sure. we're not going yeah, to. Yeah, the NHL is always right on top of technology. I'm still waiting I'm for I'm still I'm waiting for high definition you, man, on the hockey package. Putting, can you can you patent this technology and make it work? I bet smarter men than you have tried and have failed at this. No, I don't think anyone's had this great idea. Anyway, weird. Here's the problem I see with this as I'm thinking through it because I just read it in real time. The only problem is if you have a goalie laying down and the puck's under him, you won't be able to tell. But you know how you would be able to tell if the puck had dime-sized sensors on it? Hang on one second. I just dropped the mic, but then I had to pick it back up to tell you I did it. Jay, that might be the worst mic drop opportunity I've ever heard of in my life. Well, I had to pick it back up. You literally <laughs> made like this point that any dope with a microphone could have made, and you reacted like you just won the Super Bowl. Like, for real, man? Not just any dope. <laughs> Not just any dope, James, but me. Uh, let me tell you something. Again, let me reiterate. If this technology could exist, I think it would already. And I think it's if it can exist, it's a great idea. And it's one the NHL should absolutely do. But meanwhile, here in reality, it does not seem like it's something you can do. I'm going to ask somebody. I work do with it. people that know things. And I know people yeah. that know things. And I'm going to find out if this is a logical invention. There's, I'm trying to think, like... In horse racing, is there not a sensor, like a laser, that senses when the horse goes through it? Right? That's called a... Dude, you don't have, like, 14 guys in the way of that sensor, which you could potentially have in an NHL goal crease. But I'm telling you, the technology has to exist, whereas... Look, if I can take my key card at work and hold it up to a little thing, and it beeps when it's close... There's got to be some sort of thing that can be under the ice, very shallow, but under the goal line on the ice, and detect 
if X number of dime-sized sensors have gone over it. You're you're literally saying that this card reader, which operates at room temperature, is the same thing as something that you would have to bury in ice. It's not the same thing. I'm saying that the technology exists with proximity censoring, right? That is a thing yeah, that exists. And then what about other crap that gets in the way? Will you power it up? You're talking about putting something in vulcanized rubber and powering it up? Here's the other I thing. Don't think, Here, I still no, don't listen, think it's no. going to work. Here's the other situation, okay? The only time where you're like, was the puck totally over the line, is when the puck is along the ice. Almost 99.9% of the time, it's like in the goalie's glove, or it like just trickling over the line. It's not like, was that slap shot all the way over the line. So all you need is a technology to reach from an inch under the ice to the ice. That is you not an I'm, impossible you know, thing. You know, where, you know where you're going to get the biggest groundswell of support from people who are going to take listeners? your side on this? Smart Actually, people? there's two areas. One, top golf because they put sensors in every golf ball. And if you can put it in a golf ball, you can put it in a hockey puck. Hmm, interesting. And two, and two, uh, people, I just lost my train of thought. Who is, who are your other supporters going to be here? Smart people. Well, whatever. You're going to get, you're going to get supporters who are going to say something else, but I still just don't, I, I still think that this is a thing that if it could exist, it would. Okay. It's gonna, and you're being left out. Yeah. I just, I, I think it's a great idea. Thank I just you. am very skeptical that it would work in practice. I'm skeptical that you work in practice. Okay. Ah, no, I'm just being childish. Got me good. All right, let's wrap this up because people have clearly bailed by now. <laughs> it doesn't even matter. Do we even need to close the show out? People have oh. left long ago. We're just screaming into abyss at this point. So thank you, the three of you that remain, for listening to the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. We greatly appreciate it. No, we did not reward an email of the show because we're awaiting more breakfast from Chucks. We will. Hold your pants. We'll get them for you. Don't worry. But until next time, we want to thank our friends at Chuck's Southern Comforts Cafe. Marishka's family owned and operated since 1933. Chuck Southern Comforts Cafe, Triple Threat Sports. Go to triplethreatsports.com for all your team outfitting needs. And uh, that will do it for the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. We'll talk to you soon, next week, probably next week before the uh, conference finals pick up. But until then, for my partner, James Naveau, who hates me, I am Jay Zawoski. Thanks for listening to the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. What up? This is Robert Ory. You might know me as Big Shot Bob, and I want you to check out my new podcast, The Big Shot Bob Pod. We'll always be talking hoops, football, sports, and I'm going to bring you some big guests like Lakers legend Shaquille O'Neal in our premiere episode. I know I didn't come in trying to count the best of shape, but... Well, well you I'm, did one time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Subscribe now to The Big Shot Bob Pod on the Podcast One app, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere you listen to podcasts.